for this morning. I pray that you would uh, speak to our hearts, that you would encourage us. Lord, I pray that, uh, that you would just have a great outpouring of your spirit upon this group today, that uh, people would have their hearts and their lives changed uh, today, that, um, that you would speak to them, regardless of what I happen to say, Lord, that you would speak uh, to their hearts. Lord, help me as I share. Lord, I pray that, that you would uh, just guide me in my words and uh, bless the kids as they have their Sunday school time. In your name I pray. Amen. I was uh, rebuked this morning by my five-year-old. She said, Daddy, when, you're, when your lesson is too short, the kids don't have time to finish their coloring. <laughs> so I told her I would talk as long as I possibly could this morning. So if you start thinking, man, he's going too long, Pat, you're talking forever. You know what? You're being selfish because those kids need to color. They need time to finish their coloring. If you're like, that sounds like more fun, we'll go help with that. Uh, on Wednesday nights, uh, starting this Wednesday, we're going to start a study through the book of Hebrews. And I thought it was, uh, this was interesting this morning that, that Dick should, should bring up the Hebrew Roots movement. And, and because I've been thinking about the book of Hebrews, I've been reading through it a lot. And, and I love the book of Hebrews. It's an amazing book. And I felt it was kind of a, um, a fitting time because we have a lot of our youth group kids are getting ready to go off to college. And, and the, the kind of theme of the book of Hebrews is don't go back to how you used to be. Um, the Hebrew people in particular, it's all comparisons. Uh, Jesus being compared to, um, to angels and being compared to Moses. And, and what he's saying is Jesus is superior to the old things. Don't go back to the old things because what you have is better. Um, don't go back. And, uh, and it's a fascinating thing to me that, that, as Dick was mentioning, this Hebrew roots movement because we, um, we, have, a Jewish, we have a Jewish savior. Um, Jesus is a... Um, an ethnic king. He's become, you know, the king of the Jews. And, and so understanding the, the Hebrew culture is very important, but unfortunately sometimes what happens is people do exactly what the book of Hebrews is saying not to do. Don't go back to these, those old things. Those old things are pointing to Jesus. They're not saying go back and do these things. He's saying those things you used to do were pointing you to Jesus. They were the shadow of things to come. And, and it's amazing to me that these books in the Bible have titles, and I, and I never thought about this until this week, that what the people that are, that are caught up in the Hebrew Roots movement, in, and it's kind of a broad movement, and so some people are, are, are excited about it because they're learning about the Jewish culture and the Jewish history, and it's opening up their eyes to a lot of things they see in the Bible. Well, that's great. But those that are saying, you know, we need to and you need to go back to keeping all these old laws, then you start to, you start to get into problems. And what they really need to do is read the book of Hebrews. Just like those people that are caught up in Roman Catholicism, the teachings of the Roman church, you know what they really need to do? Read the book of Romans. And I thought, how amazing is that? that these groups that are taking names are names of books of the Bible that are the books that are pointing out their own error. Now, how crazy is that? Um, that has nothing to do with what I want to talk about today. But it was in my head, so I thought I'd get it out. I often tell people that um, you should not give people a piece of your mind. You need all of it, but uh, every once in a while, I do it anyway. All right, so uh, Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. We, uh, we started this off uh, a month ago. Um, and we read about Cain and Abel and how Cain brought, and Abel brought their sacrifices to the Lord and, and the Lord accepted Abel's sacrifice, but he did not accept Cain's sacrifice. And we talked about a lot of reasons for why that might be. 
Um, but uh, afterwards, we know that it, Cain was very upset and he was very angry. And we talked about how the reason, the reason people get angry is what? Because they don't get what they want. I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old. I'm an expert on this. Can I do this? No. You're going to throw a fit? I have this thing I say to Eden. It drives her crazy. Shouldn't drive your kids crazy, but sometimes I do. I'm like, you know what we should do? We should throw a big fit. No! Why are you doing it? Um, Anyway, the reason people get angry is because they don't get what they want. If you were a person that flies off the handle, loses your temper, write this someplace. Maybe on your bathroom mirror. Maybe on your inside of your contact lenses. The reason you get angry is because you don't get your way. Now, sometimes there is righteous anger because sometimes we want the right thing. You see somebody being harmed and you might get angry because you say, I don't want that person to be hurt. But more often than not, the reason we get angry is because we're just not getting what we want. And Cain got angry. Um, and we'll read in verse 8 what he did then. He said, Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Yeah, you think you have family problems. Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. And in a very short time in the Bible, we saw God saying to Adam, don't eat that, and he ate it. Next thing you know, their kids are killing each other. The Bible says, uh, says uh, some things about this. Uh, there's other, uh, other mentions of this, um, this story in the Bible, and, and we see it in 1 John 3.11, so I'll put that up there for you. It says, uh, John says, this is the message you have heard from the beginning, we should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. But this is interesting. There's two reasons given for why did he, why did he murder him. Because his works were evil. Because he was an evil man. But also... Because his brothers were righteous. There was something about his brother that just irked him. He said, you know, here I brought my sacrifice, my beautiful fruit basket to the Lord. And what did my brother bring? He brought a dead animal. Roadkill. Here you go. You know, I was like, in his mind, he had to be thinking, what I brought was beautiful and I worked hard and my brother brought this dead animal. And, um, and yet God accepted it. And so he was angry um, and he was... Uh, it says his works were evil, but also his brother's righteousness apparently just ate at him. And I've seen this before. Uh, I used to work at a very small college. We generally would have uh, between 20 and 30 students. And it was a horse training college, but also it was a, uh, run by Christians. We had Bible, call, Bible classes uh, taught by different pastors every morning. And you had a lot of students that came, and the reason they came was because they wanted to be horse trainers. And there aren't a whole lot of schools that teach horse training. Um, and so uh, they would come, even though they wanted nothing to do with the Christian part. And a lot of them would come, and through the, the Bible classes in the morning, they would come to know the Lord. But sometimes what would happen was that they wanted nothing to do with it. They didn't want anything to do with the Christian part. And we would actually would see some of, the, um, some of the students would actually have like vendettas against other students because some of the students were, were living for the Lord. Um, most often what you would see, though, was this. You would see... Uh, it wasn't those kids that knew nothing about the, the Lord that came to college and like, I don't know anything about Jesus, I don't know anything about the Bible, I don't know anything about church. They didn't really have an issue with the Christians so much. The ones that had an issue with the Christians 
were the ones who had gone to church, had been raised in it, and had gone off to college and said, I'm free! I can do whatever I want! I have had the, the privilege to speak at some high school baccalaureates, and, uh, and I always got a kick out of it because all the students would sit in the front row. And I would watch their posture, and they would all kind of sit like this. And I would ask them, how many of you, how many of your parents made you come today? And I'd say, you know, a lot of you, you're sitting here right now, and, you're th- and what you're thinking is, in the words of Mel Gibson, freedom! And what you're actually thinking is, you are planning out in your mind your descent into sin. That is what you're planning. I won't be in the house anymore. I can do whatever I want. And you'd see him kind of do this. Because I remember those days. I remember my friends. We'd all sit around and talk about it. Stay, day I turn 18, I'm moving out. When I graduated, my parents moved. I'm not even joking. They called me up. I was working at summer camp. They called me up. Hey, come get your stuff on your day off. We're moving. I was like, okay. To another state. They didn't invite me. I asked my mom about that later. She's like, I didn't think you wanted to go. I was like, I didn't, but, you know, the invite would have been nice. I had no desire. Um, But the people that really had a hard time with the, the Christian kids that were living for the Lord, the ones that were living righteous lives, that were desiring to seek after the Lord, the ones that really had issue with them and would cause problems and even minor persecution um, of them, was the ones that had the background, that knew what they ought to be doing, but weren't doing it. The ones who were going out and partying, and they'd come back, and they'd be hung over the next day, and they'd be in Bible class, and you know, one of the students that didn't go out and party and had been home the night before studying or working on stuff or playing a game with their friends, whatever, they'd answer questions in Bible class, and you'd see the looks, like, always has the right answer. Making snide comments toward them, all kinds of stuff. Uh, Why? Because they knew how they ought to be living, and these people reminded them of what they knew they should be doing. And that'll happen. That'll happen to you, uh, where your life will remind people of how they ought to be living. If you're living a righteous, holy life, seeking after the Lord... It'll, there are people that know God has convicted them about how they ought to live, and they'll see you, and you're just a reminder. And they'll hate you because of it. And that's what John said. He said, don't marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. Don't be surprised. Um, I was on a cruise ship last week. Um, some of you know my wife. Uh, she took me on a mystery vacation. She didn't tell me where I was going. A lot of men told me I was out of my mind. Like, what are you doing? Are you out of your mind? I just like her. <laughs> and so she said, uh, I'm not going to tell you where I'm taking you. And so I didn't know where I was going. I was on the airplane. I still didn't know where I was going. I was walking to the gate to the next flight. Still didn't know where I was going. Made some comments about the one place on earth I didn't want to go. Got to the gate. That's where we were going. <laughs> Keep comments to yourself. Write that down. Um, but we're on, this, we're on this cruise ship the first day, and I'm not a big fan of the whole, um, the upper deck of the cruise ship where all the people are laying around with their beer, and I'm just like, you know what, I'll just, 
go and watch the family-friendly comedy guy and the buffet, and then I'll go to the dessert buffet, and then I'll go back to my room and sleep, then I'll go get the dessert buffet, and then there's that dessert buffet, and they have ice cream 24 hours. But we're up on the adults-only area. It's quieter there. Our kids didn't come with us. We're like, freedom! There it is again. So we're sitting there, and there's these people in the hot tub, and they're all sitting on the edge of it with their feet in it. And we were sitting on like this um, hammock thing. And we're kind of talking, but they're being very loud. And there's one guy, and he's talking. He's got his beard. He's talking away. And there's another guy. He's got his beard. He's talking away. And then there's this other couple across from him. And these guys are being really loud talking. <laughs> and then the one guy, um, there, he, he says to the guy across from him, so what do you do? And the guy goes, well, I'm a pastor. And they're like. <laughs> and I was like trying so hard not to laugh. Because I was like, Holly, did you see that? She's like, what? What? I'm like, you didn't notice that? Do you notice how quiet it got over there? She's like, yeah. The guy just dropped the pastor bomb on him. It was hilarious. But why did they, why did they stop? So apparently there was some sort of conviction like, oh, the, oh this guy represents God. We're busted. We're, we're so busted. And I don't know, doing what I do, I see that a lot, where people, uh, I, people apologize for things they said. I was talking to a guy on the phone, and he was telling me about something. He was like, and he said a bunch of words I've heard before but don't use. And, uh, and then he's like, oh, oh, wait, you said you're a pastor. I'm so sorry. I'm like, dude, I've heard those words before a lot of times. Uh, you know, don't clean up your act for me. Clean up your act for Jesus. You're gonna do but, but that's the thing is that... that um, this guy, those guys, those guys that were getting a little loud, I think that they were like, uh-oh, I think I'm doing something I'm not supposed to be doing. Um, now, they didn't hate the guy, but um, clearly his life, <laughs> what he said he did, uh, brought some conviction upon them. Uh, and that's what happens uh, when, you're, when you live for the Lord. You will remind people of how they ought to live. And that can be greatly pleasing to people, and that can be a great draw when they see your peace and your hope and your love for them. Um, but uh, there are those that are fighting against it, and they will hate you, but remember that they hated Jesus first. All right, verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? Now, God asks questions in the book of Genesis that he knows the answers to. Sometimes it comes across like, what is God up to? Maybe he's so busy creating that he's like, oh, wait, 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 where did Abel go? He knows, but he asks the question. We saw this back with Adam and Eve. He asked the question, and I believe the reason is he's given him a chance to come clean. And I do this with my kids. Did you do that? And I see him. The usual question is, did you wash your hands with soap? My, my daughter's not very good at lying yet, so she has to really think about it for a long time. I'm like, don't lie to me. Tell me the truth. I asked her one time. She lied to me. I asked her why, and she said, because I didn't want to get in trouble. I said, well, you just got in more trouble, sister. So she's, she's like, did you use soap? Tell me the truth. Don't lie to me. She's like, like okay, well, go wash with soap. I asked the question. I knew the answer. I knew the answer because I heard flesh. Like, okay, wait. Nobody can pump the soap thing, that lather up, and rinse that fast. That was like water on, water off. 
Got a little water on the hands, because, you know, once your dad says, you wash your hands, yeah, let me see them. How come they're not wet at all? I dried them really good. You haven't dried your hands really good your whole life. You're like, there it is. Backs are all nasty. But I gave her a chance to come clean. I gave her a chance to come clean. I believe that's what God's doing with Cain. He's giving him a chance to come clean. Where is Abel, your brother? Ah, Cain doesn't come clean. Instead, he lies to an omniscient God. God knows everything, and yet he lies to him. Seems a rather foolish thing to do. And he asks God this question, Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? Now, this is one of those famous lines. I think people that don't know the Bible know this one. Am I my brother's keeper? And what he's saying is, hey, am I in charge of that guy? Am I, am I his dad? Am I his boss? You know, he's a man. Am I, am I my brother's keeper? Well, the answer, I guess, uh, is yes. He should um, have accepted responsibility for his brother's welfare. But he refused to accept responsibility for his brother's welfare. So what about us? When you look around at your Christian brothers and sisters, do you accept responsibility for their welfare? Do you expect, do you, um, my brain is on pause. Do you accept, that's the word, accept responsibility for their welfare? Do you accept responsibility for their welfare? Do you pray for them? When you see that they're struggling, do you say, how can I help you out? When you see them struggling, suffering, and stumbling, have you made it your responsibility to keep them, or do you have the attitude of Cain? You know, I, I was talking with a couple people about this, and I, and I keep bringing this up. As we see our economy kind of going downhill, and we see the state of our nation being more and more in question, and the state of the world being more and more in question, we may be approaching that time where some of us have to humble ourselves and ask for help from our brethren. And that's a hard thing to do, especially when you've been raised by uh, those good old American parents that have taught you to rely on yourself, be self-reliant, be self-reliant to get to that point where you have to say, you know what, I, I, I need help. I can't pay my bills. I can't, I can't re- finish this, this thing that I need to do. I need help. It's, and we may be coming to that place where, where we're going to have to humble ourselves and ask our brethren for help. And for others, uh, we may have to humble ourselves and, um, and help them. At great expense to ourselves, it may be your life savings that goes to help pay um, your brother's food bill. Um, we may be coming to those times, and you know what? If it comes to that, it'll be a good thing, because humility is not a bad thing. Um, pray that God would give you the wisdom to humble yourself. So the Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. I've heard people many times say, don't pray that God will humble you, because he will. Pray for wisdom that you can humble yourself it's less painful Um, take that as you will verse 10 god says what have you done the voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground the voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground this is uh, something we hear a couple times in the bible about blood crying out and basically what god is saying is i'm a god of justice i'm a god of justice and someone has been killed and their blood is crying out for justice uh, we've seen this in the news a lot this week about this, um, this young black man who was um, shot by another man uh, and apparently he was unarmed um, and there's a big uproar about it. People are saying, we want justice. This guy shot somebody who was unarmed and the police haven't done anything about it. And there's people that are very upset because they want 
justice. They say we want somebody to pay. We want somebody to pay. And we serve a God who's a God of justice. He says somebody has to pay. Your brother's blood is crying out. God is a good judge. He's a good and righteous judge, which means if somebody's guilty, he pronounces them guilty. Because if somebody is guilty and a, and a judge says they're innocent, that's not a good judge. And that's the argument that's been, that's been laid out for this the situation with this, um, this young man that was, was killed, is that the police didn't arrest him. And they're saying that's, that the police, there's a problem with the police. And, and there's people are upset with the police because they don't believe the police have executed good um, judgment. They've not been good judges. And, and more and more information is coming out on that case about uh, actually maybe a witness and some other things. But nonetheless, the whole the uproar is about justice. And we serve a God of justice. Um, God's forgiveness does not come at the expense of his justice. In other words, God didn't just say, oh, I forgive you, don't worry about it, because the blood still cries out for justice. You think about that. If you were, if you were uh, in, if somebody did something horrible to you, or murdered a member of your family, and you're in court, and that person is there, and they say, you know what, Your Honor, I did it, and the judge says, you know what, you admitted it, I forgive you, you can go free. You might be like, whoa, hold on a second. What about justice? Somebody has to pay. They need to pay for what happened. They need to pay for what they did. And so God is a, a good judge, and so he does deal with the guilty. Now, Cain thought he was getting away with it, but he was wrong. Um, God, like I said, God's forgiveness does not come at the expense of his, of his justice. Sin must be punished. Someone has to pay. And Jesus did. Jesus paid. And so we like this when it comes to us. We like this when, it, when it's like when somebody says, well, you did this and you did that. You say, yeah, you know what? I did. I did those things, and you know what? I, I was wrong, and I deserve punishment, but Jesus took, uh, took the punishment for me. Jesus paid the price for my sin, and I'm forgiven. We like that part. I like that part. The part I'm not so big on is the other part, which is when somebody does something to me to say, you know what, Jesus paid the price for what they did. And so when I start thinking, well, somebody has to pay for what they did. That guy needs to pay for what he did. Jesus says, you know what, I paid for what you did. And you know what, I paid for what they did. You forgive them. Oh, but they haven't asked for my forgiveness. So what? Well, they, they need to ask. Well, you know what? Jesus paid for it. They can ask for God's forgiveness, but you, you just forgive them. Because the book of uh, Romans says that Jesus was both just and justifier. He was just by saying guilty. These people are guilty. But he was the justifier by saying, I'm going to die in their place. And so someone will pay. I'll pay with my, my own righteous blood will pay for your sin. So God speaks um, more to Cain. What have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me. And he says in verse 11, So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. You spilled your brother's blood on the ground, and now the ground will no longer yield to you. Cain was a farmer. Remember, Abel was a shepherd, Cain was a farmer, but no more. Wherever he went, whatever he tried, the ground would not provide. And this is the way of the man who rejects God, the man who decides to do things his own way. He can go and he'll wander and he'll search for, for answers, he'll search for more, but he'll never have enough. He'll never have uh, the peace that he desires. He'll always only get a taste, he'll always be searching, never satisfied. Uh, the things that he actually desires will flee from him. 
Verse 13. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. At this point, you want to slap the guy because he just killed his brother. And his punishment is, oh, the gr- this stuff's not going to grow anymore. Oh, I can't handle it. Like, wait a minute. You just killed your brother and you're upset because the ground won't yield its fruit? It's like when you hear the stories about the prisoners who are rioting because they cut off their cable TV. Like, you're in prison for killing people and now you're like, they took away our cable. Human rights, human rights. Like, what are you talking about? I don't know. That drives me crazy when I hear that stuff. You know, the prisoners complaining. Like, you shouldn't have killed the guy. You don't like prison? Don't. <laughs> don't kill people. You, don't, you want the ground to yield uh, fruit to you? You shouldn't have killed your brother, knucklehead. My punishment is greater than I can bear. Now, don't, don't miss this. He is not repenting here. He is regretting. There's a difference. Regret says, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't done that. A lot of people regret things, but they haven't repented of them. Uh, sometimes people have remorse. Remorse says, I feel bad about what happened. Now, there's nothing wrong with having remorse and saying, I feel bad that that happened, but that's not repentance. Repentance, what God asks of us, is a 180 turn, which is saying, I did that, I am not going to do it again. I'm sorry it happened, I feel bad that it happened, I wish it hadn't happened, and I'm not going that way anymore. It's not going to happen again. And I believe a lot of people never have victory over certain sin in their life because they leave out the last part, which is, Lord, I'm not going to do it again. A lot of times the reason people don't say, I'm not going to do it again, is because they don't think they can. Because they are thinking about their own strength rather than saying, God, by your spirit that dwells within me, by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, I don't have to sin anymore. Romans 6, if you don't know that stuff, look, look it up, read it. We don't have to sin anymore. Reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin, it says, but alive to, Christ, uh, alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So it's a changing of direction, saying, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going this way. And I believe that's what God was looking for in Cain, was repentance. But instead, he, all he gets is some regret and self-pity. Cain doesn't concern himself with anything but himself. He's concerned more about his punishment than his guilt. And this really got me thinking. Last night, I... I started thinking about this a lot. Was, he was more concerned about his punishment than his guilt. And I started thinking, how do I operate and how do you operate? Do you operate based on fear of punishment or fear of God? Do you operate based on fear of punishment or fear of God? In other words, why do you do the things you do? Do you do them or why do you not do the things that you want to do? Does that make sense? There's things you want to do, but you don't do them. You're like, I really liked it, but I'm not going to do it. Do you do it because you're afraid of the consequences that you will face if you do them? Or um, is it something else? Is it the fear of getting in trouble? I didn't party in high school. It wasn't because I didn't want to party. It was because I was afraid of getting in trouble at home. I didn't want to get in any more trouble at home because I already was. For what? Everything. I was in trouble already for all kinds of things, mostly being stupid. Um, but I didn't want to get busted, and so that was my fear. Some people, that's why they, you know, they don't do, there's things they would like to do, but they don't do them, and, and they don't do them because they don't want to get grounded, or they don't want to get detention, or they don't want to get arrested, or they don't want to get divorced, or they don't want to get audited, or, or whatever. And so the question I'm asking is, do you do what you do because of Fear of punishment, or do you do it because of fear of God? Are you God-fearing? Now, that doesn't mean God's scared, like, he's going to lightning bolt me, you know. Did God lightning bolt Cain? No, he talked with him. 
What a strange thing. I would have lightning bolted him. Good thing I'm not God. I'd be in trouble by my own standards. God fearing. Fearing being out of fellowship with God. Fearing that you will make him look bad and bring shame to his name. Fearing stepping outside of his will. God fearing. Fearing that you um, will live a life that is not pleasing to him. That will dishonor him. Which one? How do you live? Is your life all about, well, I follow the rules because if I don't... I mean, some of us, the reason we do the right thing is because we've learned that if you do the wrong thing, there's negative consequences, and we just don't like consequences. I used to say the reason, that I, the reason I did the right thing was because I hated apologizing. But I hate apologizing, so I was going to do the right thing. But that's just a pride issue. Um, didn't want the consequences. And so why do you do what you do? Is it because of fear of the consequences or fear of the punishment, or is it because of fear of being out of right fellowship with God? When faced with your sin, do you fess up or do you make excuses? Or do you pass the buck? Well, I did it because they did this. Oh, I only did that because of this. I have this issue. Or I was, when I was a kid, this happened to me. Do we make excuses or do we just fess up and say, I did it. I'm guilty. I wish I hadn't done it. I'm sorry I did it. And you know what? I don't want to ever do it again. Verse 14. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. This is Cain speaking. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. All right, so again we see that Cain is only worried about himself. Me, I, I, I. Oh, somebody's going to kill me. Yeah, well, serves you right. You kill somebody. A relative. It's all there was at this time. Maybe that explains the strife on earth. He's like, they're going to kill me. The relatives. The killer is now afraid that someone will kill him. Clearly he has a different standard for himself than he has for other people. Be careful about this. Be careful that you do not hold other people to a higher standard than you hold yourself. Years ago, I had these two camp counselors that worked for me, and their names were Duke and Flipper. Those weren't their real names. Those were their camp names. Duke and Flipper. Now, Flipper was uh, one of the female counselors, and she did a great job. Duke was one of the male counselors, and he was a little different and caused me lots of headaches. Um, But I have great stories about Duke, and not so many about a lot of my great counselors. But Duke... Um, he cheated at every game we'd play. We'd play every game. He would cheat like crazy. And other staff would be like, he's driving me crazy because he keeps cheating. So we're playing a game, some sort of dodgeball or boys against the girls thing, and Flipper's team does something maybe a little illegal. But we were letting it go because... Uh, at camp, we'd have an hour-long game, and sometimes one team would start killing the other team, and we'd start changing the rules to keep things even because the game had to last an hour. And so we kind of let the girls do some things we weren't letting the boys do. And Duke, he just is like turning bright red. He's like just getting, and he was already he was Irish, and so he was a short red-haired guy. But he was like, Argh! and he was getting like he was going to explode. He looked like an angry little leprechaun. He was. And he's getting so mad because Flipper's team's cheating. And he's like, you're cheating. You're, but he's, doing, he's got the accent like, you're cheating. You know, and she, and, and uh, you know, and he starts just yelling at her and just, you know, going on, on and on and on. And she, and she says to him, uh, um, she's like, just get out of my face. Just go away. Get out of my face. And he's like, you better get used to me because you're going to have to spend eternity in heaven with me. 
And she looks at him and she goes, you stay on your side of heaven, I'll stay on mine. <laughs> I was like, oh! <laughs> but, why? but it was such a strange thing. And, and most of us were getting a kick out of him being so upset for a change because somebody else was doing, to a smaller degree, what he did all the time. See, he was holding her to a higher standard than he held himself. And, and it was irritating. People do this all the time. They hold other people to a higher standard than they hold themselves. As a youth pastor, I used to hear people complain sometimes about the senior pastor. And when he was gone on vacation, I sometimes would address these issues. People would complain like, no one's ever at the church to answer the phone. We don't even have a phone. It's like, great, we don't even have a phone. Like, there's no phone here. But people were like, there's, nobody ever, there's never anybody at the church to answer the phone. The pastor needs me to answer the phone. I said, you want somebody to answer the phone? You answer the phone! Turn off your daytime drama. Come down here, sit, on, sit by in the empty office and wait for nobody to call because that's what happens. Because, you know, the only person that calls is you. They're like, you're being mean. Like, what, why are you holding the higher standard than you hold yourself? Well, he's the pastor. Don't hold the pastor a higher standard than you hold yourself. You say, well, he shouldn't have that nice fancy car. He should take an oath of poverty. Well, go ahead, do it yourself. Oh, but I'm not a pastor. Don't hold other people to a higher standard than you hold yourself. Don't hold your friends to a higher standard than you hold yourself. When you find yourself saying, you call yourself a Christian, point with all your fingers. That way there's none pointing back at you, right? We say, my mom say, how many are pointing back at you? None. Don't hold others to a higher standard than you hold yourself. Show them the same grace that you have been shown. Verse 15, And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. So God put a mark on Cain. Uh, the Mormon church taught for a long time that he made him black. I had a pastor that one time said, When did uh, being black ever keep people from killing you? That's an interesting Interesting argument. But the other problem is that Cain's line doesn't last. They don't make it through the flood. So it's a ridiculous argument. Um, they've kind of abandoned that because of, um, it was kind of a, a mark on them that they were teaching that um, actually that if you converted that and you were a black person, you would change color. Um, yeah. They don't publicize that one much, uh, especially since now they have black people in the church who have not Changed. Anyway, um, Mark of Cain, the Mark of Cain. We don't know what it is. It doesn't tell us what it is. But uh, some people say it was a mark of protection. But if you read carefully, it's not a mark of protection. Because he doesn't say it's going to keep people from killing you. It just says the guy that kills you, he's going to get seven times worse. He's going to get seven times more dead than you. So it's not really protection. It's just like, this is Cain. If you kill him, you're going to die too. So you probably don't want to kill him. So maybe there's, I mean, there's an aspect of protection, but it's not like you are invincible. I think that's a mark of identification. That's something we see in the Bible a lot. I see that in the book of Revelation with uh, different people with the mark of the beast on their forehead and those 144,000 that have a mark of God upon them, identifying them as far as who they belong to. And so I think it's fascinating that here's Cain, this murderer, and God has put a mark upon him, this mark that this one belongs to me. 
And what's interesting is that even though Cain is marked by God, he goes out and begins to develop a man-centered society. And we'll see that uh, in the next little bit. But it's tragic because here's the one who has the mark of God upon him. And he goes out and, he, and you'll see, we'll see eventually that he, there's, uh, there's people in his ancestry that have names like um, God, has smit, uh, God has smitten me or um, uh, God is dead. Um, we'll see that in a minute. Uh, but he, they developed this, this society that, that is a man-centered society. And, and as, I, as I noticed this, I, I also started to think about money. Think about our coins and our dollar bills. They all have the mark of God upon them. And I think it's an amazing thing that our money says, in God we trust. What a great thing to have written on your money to remind you that you can't trust money. And yet people do all the time, even though the mark is on there. The mark is on there, in God we trust. And yet, even though we live in a nation whose motto is, in, you know, in God we trust, it's written on our money, and yet the same money bearing the mark of God funds a multi-billion dollar pornography industry. Uh, the same money that bears the mark of God has funded over a million abortions last year. Uh, $10.6 billion, all with the mark of God upon them, uh, were used... Um, for gambling in, Las, in the Las Vegas area, um, and that was just in the year 2006. Uh, we bear the mark of God on our nation, and yet we have bought into a lie that there has to be this separation of church and state. And I, I wrote a, a Facebook post about this a while ago because people don't understand you can't separate the church and the state because the church is people, and the state is people. They're actually well, any American that's a part of the church is also a part of the state. You can't separate the two. There's, it's an impossible separation. That's why it's not in the Constitution of the United States. If you read it, it doesn't say there's a separation of church and state. It says that the government shall make no, no law regarding the establishment of religion. In other words, there can't be a state church. You can't say this is the mandatory church you have to go to. That was what they were about. It wasn't about, well, we can't have religious or Christian beliefs in our government because they understood the people are Christians. The people are part of the, the nation. There's, you can't separate the two. And yet we've bought into this idea because it's been beaten into our heads that we have to separate the two. I have to, be, I have to separate my, my, uh, my spiritual viewpoints, my moral and religious convictions from my Americanism. And we've bought into this, into this lie that um, the secularists have convinced us that we don't have the right to tell others how to live. You don't have the right to tell others how to live. You can't pass laws telling others how to live. What are they doing when they tell you that? They're telling you how to live. You don't have the right to tell people how to live. Well, you just told me how to live. You don't have that right by your own admission. Wait, yes, you do. People say things like, you can't legislate morality. Well, what are laws? It's, it, they, they say things that we, we buy it, but we don't ever think about it and say, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. Yes, you can legislate morality. You can't marry a dog. It's illegal to marry more than one woman. Right now. Well, that's morality. Whose morality is that? My dog loves me. And I love my dog. I love all five of those women. And we laugh. But probably 50 years ago, if somebody said, I want to marry, uh, some guy said, I want to marry this man, people would have been like, ha, 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 you can't do that. It's ridiculous. Or is it? In some states, but not in others. Because you can legislate morality. We do it all the time. 
And there are all kinds of things that we now accept that would have been shocking to people years ago. Because here's the thing, when men decide what is right and wrong, men always get it wrong. When men decide what's right and wrong, they always get it wrong. Perfect example, I've been, I've been thinking about this a lot. The Declaration of Independence of the United States of America. If you've never read it, you might want to take a peek. It says this, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. We're endowed by our creator. See, our nation was found on the, founded on the idea that there is a creator, there is a God, the God of the Bible, the, the uh, Judeo-Christian God, you would say. And that's what our country was founded on, the Declaration of Independence. That's the foundation of our country. Then we have, on top of that, the Constitution, which is based on the Declaration of Independence. What's fascinating, though, around the exact same time in history, there was another revolution going on. In France, the French Revolution. And they had what was called the French Declaration of Rights of Man and Citizen. It was not based on God. In fact, because of their history with the Catholic Church, they'd become a very secular society. Said, we don't want anything to do with that. They'd been, become very uh, influenced by a philosopher named Rousseau. And they were very into human enlightenment. And so their constitution, their declaration rather, uh, was based on um, natural law and uh, not on what was would be called religious doctrine or authority. It was based on what they refer to as human enlightenment. And what a difference in these two revolutions, if you haven't studied them, uh, truly amazing. According to, to archival records, at least um, 16,594 people died in France under the guillotine uh, or were otherwise um, executed because of accusations uh, of counter-revolutionary activities. Just because somebody made an, an accusation against them, they'd be killed. There were no trials. Um, some uh, historians say it was up to 40,000 prisoners were executed without any trial or died while awaiting trial in prison. What was the difference? Two tyrannical regimes were overthrown by people, but one was overthrown by people who said the foundation of our nation, the foundation of our independence is based on these rights given us by God. The other one said, the, our, our foundation is on human enlightenment, the wisdom of men. When men decide what's wrong, we always get it wrong. If you look at the book of Judges, the book of Judges says, uh, over and over and over, and the book of Judges says, in those days there was no king in Israel, and each man did what was right in his own eyes. And you read about the things that happened in the book of Judges, and they are horrifying. Guy chopping up his concubine who was raped by a bunch of men. He chops her up into pieces and mails chunks of her to different parts of the country. Um, crazy stuff. But it was all socially acceptable at the time. Because when men decide what's wrong, or right and wrong, they always get it wrong. All right, so verse 16, let's finish this up. Um, we'll see the beginnings of a man-centered society that Cain starts. It says, Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad begot Mahujael, and Mahujael begot Methushael, and Methushael begot Lamech. Um, now, where did Cain get his wife? Uh, she's a relative, so either a niece or a sister. Um, eventually, uh, around the time of Moses, God would would make a law that you were no longer allowed to marry your sister or half-sister. Abraham uh, and Sarah, a Sarah was Abraham's half-sister. Up till that point, apparently the gene pool was such that uh, it wasn't, you weren't going to have genetic misfits. Or maybe we are the genetic misfits of 
the inbreeding of our Adam and Eve's children. Um, anyway, uh, so if you were wondering where Cain got his wife, relative. All right, so um, anyway, Mahujael means God has smitten. Uh, Methushael means um, it can be translated God is dead. And so we see that the society um, is becoming anti-God. Then Lamech uh, took, the, took for himself two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the second was Zila. And Ada bore Jabel. He is the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of all those who play the harp and the flute. And as for Zila, she bore Tubal-Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. When Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zila, hear my voice. And here's the first song in the Bible. This is actually, um, when you read it, this is actually, a lot of your Bibles actually have it indented because this is actually a song. A uh, very strange first song. He says, wives of Lamech, listen to my speech. For I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventyfold. And so here's a guy that's saying, yeah, God was going to avenge uh, Cain. Well, you know what? I can take care of myself. Somebody touches me, I kill him. Um, that's his song. And so while the society seems to be thriving, they have places to live, they have livestock, they have art and music, they uh, apparently have weaponry. Uh, earthly success does not equal God's approval. Earthly success does not equal God's approval. This should be a blessing to you if you are not feeling like you are accomplishing or uh, receiving earthly success. Your business isn't thriving. Your bank account isn't booming. That doesn't mean God does not have his approval upon your life. At the same time, maybe your bank account is booming and your business is thriving. That does not mean that God's approval is upon your life because our physical earthly success uh, does not necessarily uh, mean that we have God's approval upon our lives. And so we see a society that is thriving financially um, and maybe even societally, but it is spiritually bankrupt. And what we know about this line is this is the last we hear about this family and these people. We never hear about them again uh, because next is going to come the flood of Noah and they are history. They're gone, wasted, and lost. It's amazing what we see going on here. We see the first um, redefining of marriage in here. You catch that? Up till this point, marriage had been a man and a woman. Now we got a man and two women. It has often been said that bigamy has its own punishment. Multiple mother-in-laws. <laughs> Somebody also, uh, a commentator I read, said, except that he married sisters. Smart guy. Maybe, I don't know. Uh, Anyway, verse 25. Uh, Here is the, I guess this is the but. We had all that. All this, it says, and Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him also his son was born, and he named him Enosh. Then men began to call on the name Enosh. Of the Lord, And I love that last line because it's such a contrast where Cain went off and started this society where they developed all these things. And yet what does it say about this second line, this line of Seth? It doesn't say, oh, they developed tents and livestock and they had, they had crafts. Oh, crafts. And metalworking. It didn't say all that, all that stuff that, that to us, that sounds like, oh, that's good. Those are good things. What does it say about them? In those days, 
men began to call on the name of the Lord. Is there any greater need in our nation than this? That men would call on the name of the Lord. So how does that begin? How does that begin? How does our nation begin? How do we say, this great nation, the United States, how do we begin to to be that nation where men call on the name of the Lord? How does it begin and where does it begin? I submit to you this. It begins with one person. One. So the question is, who's that one person? So here is what I submit to you today. It's you. Leave one point at me. So here, we need to quit waiting that God's going to, for God to use somebody else. I know there's all kinds of people praying, praying, God, raise up somebody to do this job. Well, wait a minute. Maybe, you know what? Maybe we should stop praying for God to raise up somebody else and say, God, show me, how, show me where I fit in. Show me how I can be the one. God, I want you to use me. Rather than praying that God will use somebody else, say, God, use me. Quit hoping and praying that God will bring revival and start chasing it. I started reading a book um, this last week called um, The Pursuit of God. It was amazing because it was written in 1948. And when I read the beginning of it, I thought it was written recently. Because all the things he was talking about in the church are the same things that that I think we see now. Um, But what he was talking about, to sum up this book, was that relationships take time and effort and pursuit you meet somebody, you shake, your hand, shake their hand, and you've met them. You now might know them. And he says that's how a lot of people are with God. And I think it's absolutely true. People, they like, well, I've received Jesus as my Savior, the end. But he's saying, no, in a relationship, you meet somebody, you get to know them, and it's about getting to know them more. And he was saying, pursue, pursue it. You want revival? Well, chase it. Chase it. Seek, seek and you shall yeah, seek, seek and you shall find, you shall receive. It's not, and it's, when you read that in the Greek, it's neat because it's not just seek one time. It's seek and it means continually seek. Seek and you shall find. Continue to seek the Lord over and over and over. Make your prayer. I want more of you. I want to know you more. Quit, uh, quit wasting your life in pursuit of things that don't last. Quit wasting your life in pursuit of things that don't last. I have a challenge for you today. It's a crazy challenge. I'm going to dare you to pray something. Some things are really hard to pray. One of the hardest things I ever had to pray, I was praying for family members that didn't know the Lord. And I said, um, Lord, whatever it takes, whatever it takes for them to know you. And I felt like God spoke to me. And, and, and this is what, what I, I prayed. I said, God, whatever it takes for them to know you. And it was like instant answer in my head was, what if it cost them their life? And I was like, ooh. You know, what if it takes, what it means they have to get really sick. They have to get cancer. They have to be in some horrible accident for them to see their need for the Lord. What if it costs them their life? And I said, yes. And then I got the harder question. What if it costs you your life? Ah, I'll talk to you later, Lord. Be back. Some prayers are hard to pray. Some prayers are hard to pray. And I think this is a hard one. And so this is, my dare, this is my dare you to pray this prayer today. And I, my dare is to, uh, for you to pray this every day this week. Four words. You can even leave out one. The first one, if you have to, but I like four. Lord, begin with me. Father, I, um, I pray that we would not be waiting for you to use somebody else. 
that we wouldn't lie in bed at night praying that you would change our nation or that you would change our family or that you would change uh, our neighbor, Lord, but that we would lie in bed at night and, Lord, change me, start with me, begin right here. Let me be the one. Let me be the one, Lord, that you begin with. Lord, I pray that we would be a, a, a group of people that are not just about adding to, um, to our club, that we wouldn't be about having a, a big group or the biggest church in town or any of that baloney, but that we would be the ones about changing the world, one person at a time, beginning with me. That each one of us would say, Lord, Lord, begin with me. And not be just a matter of words, but that we would pursue it, or that we would pursue you, that we would be about knowing you more, not about waiting around for, um, for somebody else to be used, but that we would be, Lord, ready and willing to be used by you, Lord, that we would make ourselves available, that we would set aside all the things that are, that are in our way, that we would throw aside the things that uh, have ensnared and burdened us. Lord, it's so easy for us to get caught up on, on providing for ourselves rather than saying, Lord, I'm going to serve you and allow you to provide for me because you are Jehovah Jireh, the provider. Lord, I pray that we would recognize when we are filling our minds and, and loading ourselves down with entertainment, when we're being numbed to the, to the pain around us by, by short-term entertaining fixes. And Lord, I pray that we would have an urgency and a passion. Would I pray for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit upon us, that we would be not just, um, not just sitting and waiting, but that we would be empowered and ready to go. Lord, I know that there are times where we have to wait upon you, that we, that we need to wait um, Lord, I, I pray that we won't be waiting for somebody else, for you to use somebody else, but that we'll be, Lord, praying, praying and, and if waiting on anything, waiting for you to open the doors, waiting for you to, to give us those opportunities. Lord, that if you've called us to ministry, that we wouldn't uh, wait for, uh, for an education to come along, but that we'd start educating ourselves, start studying your word so that when the time comes um, for us to share it, that we'll, have, that we'll be stocked up. Lord, begin with me. Amen. God bless you. Have a great, uh, great week. I dare you. I dare you. I dare you to pray that prayer. Do I think you'll do it? I don't know. I've given homework in the past and I found out nobody did it. So I'm not even going to ask if you did it. I'm just going to watch. And when your world totally changes and I start seeing amazing things, oh no, you prayed it. God bless you. Have a great week.